Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, two great stories, beginning with A Pair of Hands, written by Arthur Quiller Couch. This from the BBC show, Haunted, Tales of the Supernatural. And our second story, Which One, by Ronald Chetwind Hayes. Hope you enjoy them. It happened when I lived for a time in Cornwall. Trisillac was the name of the house where it happened, and it stood quite alone at the head of a coombe from which you could hear the sea, but you couldn't actually see it. It was advertised in a nearby town as secluded, and secluded it most certainly was. It also happened to be cheap, and in those days I was poor. And so I found my way to the farm of Mr Hosking, on whose land the house stood, and who was offering the house at a very reasonable rent. You come to see me? If you're Farmer Hosking. I'm Farmer Hosking. What's it about? About the house you have for rent. Trisillac. Is that its name? Yes. Uh, you'd better come inside, hadn't you? Thank you. Sit down. Oh, thank you, Mr. Hosking. You, uh, been to the agent in town, then? Yes. On your own, are you? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. I see. Bit, uh, odd, isn't it? What, Mr. Hosking? That I should want to rent a house, or that I'm on my own? A bit of both, to tell the truth. Well... If we're going to tell the truth... No, no, miss, don't get angry. I only ask because... Well, I'm not saying you're like the others, but... What others? The other tenants. The other tenants that have come here. Some of them have caused me no end of trouble. I haven't come here to cause you trouble. I'm not saying you have, miss, but uh, I have to be careful now. Because the house is secluded, they got up to all kinds of things. Shady goings-on, I can tell you. Why, I... I don't think I want to know the details, Mr. Hosking. I can assure you that in my case, nothing shady will go on as far as I'm concerned. Yes, well... What does that mean? A young lady on her own, no husband, no guardian, no protector of any kind, comes here out of the blue. Well, I don't know. Mr. Hosking, let me be as truthful with you as you have been with me. First and foremost, I am a spinster from a decent family. I am a spinster by choice. And upon the recent death of my mother, I decided I would like to live a rural life of combined seamliness and economy, for I have only a small, regular income. Well, I don't know what more I can say. Proof. Uh, look. Perhaps this letter from the family solicitor informing me of my annuity will be sufficient proof of identity and integrity. Uh, if you did come here... Yes? If, mind, only if, 
There is one thing I must tell you, though. Oh? And what's that? Whoever takes the house must take Mrs. Carhill along with it. Mrs. Carhill? Is she the housekeeper? Yes. She was the wife of a late cousin of mine. I see. I'm sorry, miss, but I had to make it a rule after... Well, after some of the things that happened up there with the previous tenants. You won't find her so bad, miss. Mary Carhill's a sensible, comfortable woman, and she knows the place inside out. She was in service there to Squire Kendall until he sold up and went. Her first place it was. Yes. Well, if you'd be good enough, Mr. Hosky, perhaps I could see the house now. Oh, of course, miss. Follow me. And this would be your bedroom, Miss Poulton, if you decided to rent the house, that is. Oh, Mrs. Carhill, it's perfect, absolutely perfect. This is better than anything I dreamed of. Well, I shouldn't let my cousin hear you say that if I were you. He'll want to put the rent up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I take it you like the house, then? Oh, yes. Everything is so immaculate. You keep it in beautiful order, Mrs. Carhill. Thank you. Then you'd like to rent the place, is that it? Oh, yes, Mr. Hosking, it's beautiful. I've fallen in love with Trisillac already, and I like this room best of all. I think she'll be happy here, Robert. Oh, I know I should be, and it is for the rent specified, isn't it, Mr. Hosking? <laughs> yes, it is. Then, if I suit you... What do you think, Mary? Does she suit? I think she'll suit nicely, Robert. along the beach, have you? Yes, it's a lovely walk down from the coombe. You go there very early in the morning, miss. Don't you find a chill in the air at that time? A little, but it's bracing. Oh, I don't disturb you, do I? Getting up so early? No, oh, no. I heard you one morning, that's why I, I thought you weren't feeling well, so I went to your room, but you weren't there. Then I saw from the window you walking up the path, so I guess what you were up to. I suppose... You don't have much time to go out, Mrs. Carhill. Oh, yes. Well, enough to satisfy my old bones. I don't know how you have any free time at all. You keep my bedroom, well, the whole house, so spotless. That's kind of you to say so, miss. Makes me feel more than a little guilty, I can tell you. Guilty? Why should you feel guilty? That you won't allow me to help. I wouldn't mind, really. But you're the tenant, Miss Poulton. It's not required of you. But the house is so big, and I have so little to do except some writing I've started. I can manage, thank you, Miss Poulton. All that polishing and cleaning. You don't need to worry about it. I enjoy housework. I take great pride in the way Trisilla looks. I wouldn't want anyone interfering. Well, taking over what is, after all, my job. Well... I must be the luckiest person alive. My every need is attended to. If I were paying twice the rent, I couldn't ask for more. That's why I feel so guilty, Mrs. Carhill. I've been here a month now, and I don't think I'm contributing enough. I can't afford to pay more, but I could help more by... Mrs. Carhill? Mrs. Carhill? 
What? Are you all right? Yes. Yes, I'm sorry. What were you saying? What is it? Did you hear something? Uh, No, no. My mind just strayed to one of those little jobs I should be doing, and which so far today has been neglected. Well, Miss Fulton, if you'll excuse me, I have a great deal to do. Yes. Mrs. Carhill always had a great deal to do. Meals were prepared to the moment. In a hundred odd little ways, this orderliness, these preparations, seemed to anticipate my every desire. Did I but wish the roses renewed on the dinner table, and sure enough, at the next meal, they would have been replaced by fresh ones. I told myself that Mrs. Garhill must have noticed and interpreted a glance of mine, and had done it forthwith. One morning, I thought I'd test her. I woke up extra early and went down to the kitchen to discover whether Mrs. Carhill was an even earlier riser than myself, carrying out all the housework in the first light of dawn. Mrs. Carhill? Mrs. Carhill? followed you down because I heard you pass my door and then call out. Well, no, I, I, I wasn't calling out exactly. The kitchen is so clean and tidy. Isn't it usually then? Oh, of course. Please don't misunderstand me. The kitchen, my room, everywhere in the house, in fact, is always spotless. No, I'm asking, well, questioning, really, when you could possibly have done all this work. Is that so important? Not in itself, no. But last night, after all the jam making, I came in here to make myself a cup of tea. And the kitchen was a tip. An absolute tip. What are you trying to say, Miss Poulton? Well, you couldn't have cleaned up last night because you went to bed before me. I was reading in the dining room till quite late and I heard you go upstairs... Shortly afterwards, I came in here and made myself a cup of tea. So I imagine that you must do your housework, or at least the major part of it, in the very early hours of the morning. I thought, well, I thought I'd come down and test my theory out, that's all. Catch you out. But what do I find? It's already done. Yes, impeccably. Everything has been scrubbed. The utensils gleam, the kitchen range sparkles. When, Mrs. Carhill? When? That's all I ask. Miss Poulton, if it'll put your mind at rest, then I must tell you I'm one of those people who cannot sleep knowing there's a job left undone. You were quite right. I was tired after all that jab making and I decided to have 40 winks in my room before coming back down to the kitchen to clear up. I came down about... Oh, I suppose it must have been about two o'clock. I see. It only took me an hour. Then I went to bed again and slept content. It must have taken you much longer than an hour to complete all this, surely. Not an hour, that's all. The clock struck three as I came upstairs. 
Well, as I've said before, Mrs. Carhill, you're a remarkable woman. A truly remarkable woman. And what have you there, Miss Poulton? Some roses, aren't they lovely? Oh, beautiful, Miss. I'll get a vase to put them in. Thank you. Aren't they lovely colour? And the fragrance is quite overpowering. I thought they'd look nice in the hall. You're not putting them in your room, then? Well, I wasn't planning to, no. Oh, I see. Right, here's the vase, miss. Oh, thank you. Yes, that'll be perfect. Mrs. Coyle? Yes, miss? This tap isn't working. Not working, miss? No. It wasn't yesterday, either, I noticed. There isn't a drop of water coming out. Look. Let me look. Maybe it's stuck. Well, no, it hasn't stuck. See, you can turn it on and off quite easily. There simply isn't any water coming through. Dear me. You'll have to fill the vase from the bathroom tap. The taps in the rest of the house appear to be working quite normally. Well, I never use the pantry tap myself. I've no cause to. No, but there has to be a reason. And you must find it a great nuisance washing up the plates and glasses in the kitchen and not here in the pantry, surely. I suggest we go and take a look at the cistern. The cistern's all right, miss. I assure you, I don't think that's the trouble. For someone who's so proud of Trisillac. I am, miss. You know I am. Yes, well, then you must be concerned about the tap and the possible reasons for it's not working. I mean, at the moment, it's only affecting this tap. But if left, the trouble could spread. I mean, one morning, we could wake up and find ourselves without water altogether. Now, let's do as I say and take a look at the cistern at the back of the house. It's just as I thought, Mrs. Carhill. What's that? The big cistern is just about full, and yet the smaller one, this one at a lower level, is empty. And what does that mean, miss? I'm afraid I'm not very good at this sort of thing. Well, it means the pipe between the two cisterns is choked. Now, let me see if I can... Oh, I wouldn't do that, miss. I really wouldn't do that. The pantry tap is only cold water and of no use to me. The kitchen boiler gives me hot water, you see, and that yes, serves so to I do... I want the pantry water for my flowers. <laughs> ah, I thought as much. There, there's something blocking the pipe. A plug or a cork. Ah. Oh, look. It was stuck in the outlet. See, Mrs. Garhill, it was stopping the flow of water completely. Good Lord. What, miss? It looks as if... Oh, no. Well, it appears that someone has deliberately placed it there. See, the cork's covered in a piece of rag. A calico print to make it fit better in the outlet hole. I... Oh, no. No, that's too silly for words. Yes, miss? Nothing, Mrs. Garhill. Nothing. Oh. Oh, what in heaven's name is that? It's not raining, and yet... Time, two o'clock. Oh dear, I just can't concentrate on my book with that noise going on. There's a tap on somewhere, that's it. And it's running into a drain outside my window.
running again. I turned it off. I know I did. It is the tap. It's Mrs. Carhill's doing. Oh, no, don't be silly. Why would she want to do that? To get her own back because she didn't want that pantry tap working. Oh, no, that doesn't make sense. Oh, damn the tap. I'll have to go downstairs and turn it off again, I suppose. it before in my life at the sink in the pantry two small hands a child's hands I can't tell you how they ended they weren't cut off or anything like that but I, I saw them distinctly just a pair of small hands the wrists and after that nothing they, they were washing themselves clean I, I saw the water trickling and splashing over them not through them but just as it would on real hands. And, and they were the hands of a girl, too. Boys wash their hands differently from girls. Don't ask me how, but there is a difference, an unmistakable difference. I said, well, Mrs. Kyle. You knew all the time. You knew. It was you who plugged the cistern, wasn't it? That piece of calico print, I knew I'd seen it before. One of the dresses you wear. What do you want me to say, Miss Poulton? You have seen. Oh, you must tell me, never mind how bad the details are. Is it murder? Oh, Lord bless you, Miss. Whatever put such horrors in your head? Oh, she was washing her hands. And so she does, poor dear. But murder... A dear little Miss Margaret, it wouldn't hurt a fly. Miss Margaret? That's right. Squire Kendall's only daughter. She died when she was seven, and that was about 20 years ago. I was her nurse, Miss, so I know. Diphtheria, it was. She got it down in the village. But how do you know? It's Margaret. Oh, those hands. How could I mistake the hands of a child I'd held in my arms so often? But why does she wash them? Well, miss, being always a dainty child, and the housework, you see. Do you mean to tell me that all this tidying and dusting, is it she who's been taking care of me, who's been cleaning and polishing my room, cleaning the kitchen? Who else, miss? Oh, poor little soul. 
I'm so glad you take it like this, because there's really nothing to be afraid of, is there? It's my belief she loves you, miss. Really? Well, I just think of what a dreadful time she must have had with the others. The others? What others? The other tenants, miss. The ones here before you. Were they bad? They were dreadful. Didn't Farm Alskin tell you? They carried on fearful, one after the other, and each one worse than the last. Well, what was the matter with him, Mrs. Carhill? Drink? Oh, with some of them it was, yes. There was the Major, he used to go mad with it and run about the coop in his nightshirt. Oh, scandalous it was. And his wife drank, too. That is, if she ever was his wife. Oh, just think of that tender child washing up after their nasty goings-on. Oh, poor thing. But that wasn't the worst by a long way. There was a pair here from the colonies, or so they said, with two children, a boy and a girl. The elder was scarcely six. Poor mites. What happened? They beat those children, miss. Oh. Your blood had boiled. And starved and tortured them, too, if the truth were told. You could hear their screams, I've been told, way back along the high road. And that's the best part of half a mile away. And sometimes they were locked up without food for days on end. But it's my belief that little Miss Margaret managed to feed them somehow. Oh, I can see her creeping to their door and comforting them. No more, I beg you. If I'm to have any peace of mind in this house. But you won't go. Surely, miss, she loves you. I know she does. And think what you might be leaving her to. What do you mean? Well, what sort of tenant may come next to replace you? For she can't go, even if you can. She's been here ever since her father sold the place, and he died soon after. No, miss, you mustn't go. You can't. Oh, Mrs. Carhill, please, miss, say you won't go. Very well, I won't go. Oh, thank God. Thank you, Miss Poulton. After all, it's as you say. There's nothing to be afraid of. That's it, miss. It's nothing at all. We've got the secret between us, so we can lie in our beds... And if we hear anything, we can say, God bless the child, and go straight back to sleep. I spent three happy years at Trisillac, and all that while we shared the secret. It ran through my waking life like a song. It smoothed my pillow, touched and made my table comely. In summer, lifted the heads of the flowers as I passed, and in the winter, watched the fire with me and kept it bright. Then that fateful day came as I knew it must, the day I had to leave Trisillac. Sold the house? That's right, miss. Oh, I know it's nothing to do with me, Mr. Hosking, but may I inquire the name of the purchaser? Colonel Kendall, miss, brother of the old squire. Brother of... Oh, I see... A married man, is he, the colonel? Oh, yes, miss, with a family of eight. As pretty children as you ever saw. And the mother is a good and gracious lady. It's the old home to Colonel Cantle, so he says. And that is why you felt bound to sell him the house, is that it? <laughs> well, uh, I have to admit to the fact that he's offering a good price as well. <laughs> I see. Of course, I'm very sorry to have to turn you out, Miss Bolton. 
I know you've enjoyed your stay here. The house has meant a lot to you. Yes, it has, Mr. Hosking. It has indeed. However, I think you're doing the right thing. You've told her then, Robert? Aye, Mary, I have. I'm sorry, miss. I really am. Don't be silly, Mary. I think your cousin is doing the right thing. I've just told him so. Colonel Kendall, yes, it sounds right. Oh, but, but what's going to happen to you? I shall be staying. Oh, good. That's good news. The colonel said he, he wanted a housekeeper, and I said if he didn't mind, well, then neither did I. Good. That's settled, then. Uh, uh, till the end of the month, then, miss. Yes, Mr. Hosking. I'll be gone by the end of the month. Uh, excuse me. Uh, must get back. Of course, Mr. Hosking. And thank you. Don't look so sad, Mary. I know it's right for her, for Margaret. She'll be so happy with her cousins for company. That's what I thought. Oh, miss, I'm so glad you think the same. I do. I do. You all packed then, Miss Poulton? Yes, all packed. I'll miss you. Honest to God, I will. I'll miss you, Mary. Still, I'm all fixed up. I found myself a furnished room in London with a well-to-do family. They want a companion. I shall be all right. And I'll write to you often. Oh, yes. Do that, please. Before I go, there is something... That... Oh, I know it may sound silly. What's that, miss? I, I want to say goodbye to Miss Margaret. Do you think you ought? I'd like to. Just say goodbye. There can be nothing wrong in that, surely. And so, while Mrs. Carhill waited in the drawing room, I went into the kitchen and then threw into the coolness of the pantry. Margaret, I whispered. There was no answer. I had scarcely hoped for one. Yet, I tried again. Shutting my eyes this time, I stretched out both my hands and whispered, Margaret. And, and I will swear to my dying day that two little hands came and rested for a moment in mine. BBC World Service. Haunted Tales of the Supernatural.
week, Eric Deacon and Christopher Neem star in Keeping His Promise by Algernon Blackwood. Dramatized for radio by Patricia Mays. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Uh, Henry, may I join you, old chap? Uh, yes, of course. When's your next tutorial? In about 15 minutes. Oh, I've got half an hour. How are the studies going? Behind, as usual. As a fourth-year man, you should be keeping well ahead. Yes, I'll keep being told, Henry. Believe me, it's not for the lack of trying. I've, uh, I've nearly got word blindness I've been reading so much. Oh, God. This lunch is pretty foul, isn't it? Is it? You are eating, I suppose. You look pretty gaunt. Food doesn't interest me at present. You can't study on an empty stomach, old boy. I thought an empty stomach helped to make the intellect keener. Rot! You need a break. I've been invited to a party tonight. What about it? Don't tempt me. A chance for you to meet people. You hardly know anyone at the university. You know. I think I'm about the only friend you've got. I haven't the time to socialise. Believe me, Henry, I'm finding it very difficult. My mind seems reluctant to absorb all the information. (sighs) Why is it so easy for some? You mean me? No, no, not you specifically. You don't know how lucky you are to have such a retentive memory. I I read a page, I think I've got it, only to find by tomorrow morning it's gone, utterly and totally. Yes, well, uh, maybe you're trying too hard. It happens sometimes. Yes, I'd like to think that, but I'd be living in a fool's paradise. If I can help in any way, old chap... Yes. Thanks, Henry. You're, uh, you're very kind. My dear chap. You're so silly. Only too willing to help. Mind you, those tiny rooms you have in Findlay Street, they can't be very conducive to serious study. Yes, maybe not, but uh, I can't afford anything else. So you really won't join me tonight? Have some fun? No, afraid not. I've got an awful lot of swatting to do until the early hours. All I want is peace and quiet. <laughs> Judging from that part of Edinburgh, that's all you will get. Yes, uh, look, I, uh, I must go now. I'll see you later. Uh, I guess. Well, goodbye, Jack, old man. Damn. Not all the papers on the floor. Uh, where was I? Uh, skull. Right. Well, here we are. Now, Jack, try and keep awake. And concentrate. Concentrate. Why don't they supply silent clocks for undergraduates? Go on. Nine. Ten. Eleven. Right. Right, I'll try again. The human skull. Oh, no! Oh, who's that at this time of night? 
I'm not green, surely not green, not after what I told him. He wouldn't do a thing like that. Oh, I suppose I'd better answer it. I mean, this, this is too much. The fellow knows I'm reading from an exam. Hello? Who's there? Must be around the bend in the staircase, and yet the steps seem to be right here beside me. Jack, you were talking yourself into a nightmare. Someone is playing a joke which, frankly, I don't find in the least bit funny. Right. Right, I'll close the... Hello? Who's there? Damn the light in this hallway. Did you want me? Did you know just now? Who are you? Come nearer the light and... You old man, you, you look so, so white and thin. Are you ill, man? Come inside, quick! You, you look absolutely worn out. Come and sit down, please. You, you, you've quite taken me by surprise. When was the last time we met? What do you mean, Ambrose? You can't come. I've told you, I've got to stay in. Oh. What have you done now? I was rude to Proctor. You are an ass. Why don't you control that temper of yours? The man's an idiot. He doesn't like you. You'll be expelled if you keep on behaving like this. I don't care. You should care. What do your parents say? I don't care about them either. You're just being silly and irresponsible. You do what you like, Jack, and I'll do what I like. You'll never get to university. You'll have no future. You sound just like my father. But he's right. I want to lead my own life. I'm not answering to fools like old Proctor. He may be old, but he's no fool. Look, Jack, I know you're my closest friend and all that, but I'm sick to death of people telling me what to do all the time. How long is it, Ambrose, since we're at school together? Five? Six years? Look, old man, is something wrong? What's happened? Lady Field? Yes, officer. Uh, is this young man your son? Oh, where did you find him? Uh, near the river, my lady. Uh, lying in the gutter. Oh, He's I wasn't dead there drunk, my lady. What? Come along, sir. Come along. In you come, that's right. Uh, I could see the way he was dressed and everything, that he was from a decent home. That's right, Oh, thank you, officer. I I'm deeply indebted to you. Uh, are there going to be... Well, uh, is he likely to be charged with any, anything? No, I don't Not this time. But I would urge you to try and exercise a little more control over him. He could get into some serious trouble one day, especially in that area. Yes, uh, of course. I don't want to stay. You've got a wild one there, I can tell you. Lord Field is out at the moment. No doubt he will deal with him strongly when he returns. Good. A young gentleman like that needs a father's hand. Ambrose? 
Ambrose, do you want to tell me about it? I mean, I heard things, of course. I say, Jack, Ambrose Field's a friend of yours, isn't he? Yeah. Father owns half of Pimlico. I believe so, yes. Why? In prison. What? Heard the details from a friend. Caught in one of those opium dens. Up to the most appalling things. Drugs, women, prostitution. Quite dreadful. God knows how his father's going to keep this quiet. Oh, how awful. You know the family well? Oh, I was at school with Ambrose before he was expelled. But my sister, Emily, and Ambrose's sister are very close. I haven't seen Ambrose in... Oh, must be a year or so. Why, you look exhausted, Ambrose. You just uh, eat some supper and relax. We'll soon have you looking better. Get some of that food down here. After we've eaten, then uh, we'll have a chat, eh? Must be much to talk about. Ah, I just remembered. I've, uh, I've got a bottle of whiskey somewhere. What an ass I am. I never touch it myself when I'm working, but, uh, well, this is a special occasion, isn't it? Hello, father. Come in. Come in. So you're here, my son, my heir. You disgrace me, Ambrose. And you dishonour my name. Well, what are you talking about? Look at yourself. I'm... I'm sorry, father. I, I don't know... Damn you! Look at yourself! Look at yourself in the mirror! You Can't you see what stares back at you? My God, if I had the courage, I'd kill you! I've had a little too much to drink, that's all. Too much to drink, my God. As, as a young man... You must have got it in, in some scrapes now and again. Ambrose, do you realise how much misery you have brought into this house? Your mother is downstairs now, crying. She is crying because of you, because of your appalling behaviour, because of the shame you have brought onto this family. The police pick you up out of gutters. They, they, they drag you from your whores. They worm you out of the disgusting squalor of the opium dens. You are the talk of London. And because you are my son, so am I. I have lots of friends, Father. We enjoy ourselves. You don't understand a word I'm talking about, do you? Father, what's always leading to? What are you intending to do? Do? <laughs> I'm going to do nothing, my boy. It's you who has something to do. I want you to pack your clothes and what possessions you have, and I want you to leave this house. You take nothing other than your personal possessions, and I never, ever want to see you again. Father... Father, I have agonized over this decision, but, Ambrose, but, but now that I have made it, it is irrevocable. What? And don't believe for one moment but, that your friends or your mother will make me change my mind. I dare say you will find some kind of roof to sleep or lust under, but it will not be as my son. No, don't you, please, please. You don't have do this. one hour. And you will not see your mother before you leave. I shall be with her in the drawing room and I shall lock the door. I don't want to know of your existence ever again. Does, does, does mother know what you intend to no. do? No. She will only know about it when it has happened. One hour, Ambrose. Please, Father, you can't do this. An hour? Please. I've nowhere to go. My home is here. Your home was here, but no longer. I've done everything I could to help you, but I cannot take the shame and disgrace you bring upon us any longer. <coughs> One hour, Ambrose. <coughs> you bastard, you old bastard. Dear God, what can I do? Where can I go? I know. I know the answer. 
father. You needn't think you can get rid of me so easily. You'll never be able to forget me. Never. Here we are. Drink that, old man. That'll help you regain your strength and senses. Then you must tell me how you found me. I'm swatting to be a doctor for my sins. I sometimes think your carefree attitude towards your future might have been for the best when I consider what I'm suffering at the moment. Why, your coat's all dry and dusty. I thought it was raining outside. Ambrose? Ambrose? You've fallen asleep. Look, uh, I shall be here for the rest of the night reading for this exam. You're, you're more than welcome to my bed. Tomorrow, we'll have a late breakfast and, uh, well, we'll see what can be done. Make plans, eh? Come on. Let me help you into the bedroom. Yeah, that's it. Come along, old friend. You need to rest in a nice, soft, warm bed. Let's make a vow, Ambrose. A vow to what? To eternal friendship. That uh, whatever happens to us, we will always be the greatest of friends, each to help the other if he's in trouble. All right. Good. <laughs> what are you doing with that knife, Jack? For the vow to be properly taken requires the letting and joining of our blood. Only this way will our friendship last until death. What do you say, Ambrose? Very well, Jack. I'm willing. <sighs> I wonder how long he'd been waiting out there on the stairs. He really does look quite ill. He ate as if he hadn't seen food for a week. Listen to his breathing. I can hear him in here. Oh, he's in a deep, deep sleep. <sighs> I too can hardly keep awake and I must try. <clears throat> I must try. Dealing with a fracture, it is important to keep the limb immobile. Hmm. Strange, my arm. Oh, pins and needles. Need to stretch, I expect. Now, where was I? Ah! Oh, it's that pain again. Oh, I must have been leaning on it awkwardly. Better go and see how Ambrose is faring. Still asleep. Well, the looks of him, he hasn't moved an inch. The poor fellow, he must have been exhausted. Ah! Oh! Is that pain again? Ow! Oh, I must have been sitting in a draft or something.
Ambrose, what would you like for breakfast? Ambrose? Ambrose! In the bathroom! Ambrose, old man, where are you? Ambrose! Where in God's name is he? Ambrose, come on, old man, don't play the fool. Where are you? You're hiding behind the door. Well, the bedroom's empty, yet... Peeled? Is that you? Where are you, man? Stop playing this damn stupid game. Oh. Oh, the pain started again. God, it hurts. Peeled. This has gone far enough. Where are you? Damn it, man. What are you trying to do? You under the bed or what? Oh, God. My arm. The pain's almost unbearable. You must be in here. Feel. Feel. All right. I, I lay down on the bed. No. No! No. Too much study. That, that, that's it. Students who read too much, sleep too little, have hallucinations. That's a medical fact. That's what it is. Total exhaustion. It wasn't field. It was exhausted. It was. It was me. My senses were shaken. Reason was disturbed. Yes, field was a, was no more than a hallucination. That's it. My, my arm, it, it still hurts. That's real enough. The, the impression of the body on the bed, that was real too, but, but no. No. Think. Think for a moment, Jackie. He didn't utter a word. Ambrose did not utter a word. Oh, it's incredible. It's absurd. If it's an hallucination, why? Why can I hear him breathe? Why? I've got to get out. Oh, no. Perhaps a, a walk across Hollywood will clear the air, bring sanity back again. Hello, Marriott. I was getting worried. Henry, what are you doing here? I thought I'd drop in, compare notes and catch breakfast from you. Where, where have you been, old I've, boy? I've, uh, I've been walking across Holyrood. This early? I, uh, had a, a bad headache. The walk helped. Ah, read hard all night then. Yes, yeah. Um, I didn't know you had any friends who drank, Marriott. I didn't know I had either. What are you getting at? In the bedroom, old boy. Sounds as if some chap is sleeping it off in there, doesn't it? Then you can hear it, too. 
Oh, thank God. Well, of course I can hear it. I, I, I'm sorry if I wasn't meant to... No, I, I didn't mean that. I'm relieved. If you hear it too, then it's all right. But really, it, it frightened me more than I can tell you. I thought I was going to have a brain fever or something. And you know how much depends on this exam. It, it always begins with sounds or visions or some beastly hallucinations. And Jack! I, I thought it was... Jack, what in heaven's name are you talking Listen about? Listen to me, Henry, and I'll tell you what I mean. Only please, please don't interrupt. Last night, at about 11 o'clock, still hear the breathing, don't you? Yes. Well, then you come with me, and we'll search the room together, and you'll see if what I say isn't true. Uh, just a minute, Jack. Um, I, well, I, I've been in there already, when I heard the sounds and thought it was you. What? I wouldn't hang it all. Someone must be there. Someone is in there. But where? Now, come on, come into the room. Come on, Henry. I, I, no, Jack, don't ask me. I, I've been in once. There's nothing there. You know what I've been through all night, why I've been tramping across Holyrood for the last two hours. <sighs> the only thing that ought to have a proper, logical explanation is the pain in my arm. It, it hurts infernally and aches all the way up. I can't remember bruising it or anything. Uh, let me examine it for you. I'm awfully good at bones, in spite of the examiner's opinion to the contrary. All right. Roll up your shirt sleeve. You're going to have a brusque bedside man, and I'll see. My God, I'm bleeding. Not much, but there's blood all the same. Look, I, I can't near the wrist. Well, you, you've scratched yourself without knowing it. There's no sign of a bruise. It must be something else that makes the arm ache. What's the matter, Jack? I see nothing strange about a scratch. It was your cufflink, probably, last night in your excitement. But, Jack, my, my dear fellow, what's the matter? Do you see that red mark? I mean, underneath what you call the scratch. Uh, let me see. Yeah. Well, yes, I see it. It looks like an old scar. It is an old scar. Now it all comes back to me. What? But, but Marriott, what's the matter Shh, with you? Quiet. Quiet, and I'll tell you. Field made that scar. Did you hear me? Field made that scar. Field? What, you mean last no, night? No, not last night. Years ago, at, at school, with my knife. And I made a similar scar on his arm. We exchanged drops of blood in each other's cuts. He put a drop of blood into my arm, and I put one into his. In the name of heaven, what for? It was a boy's compact. We, we made a secret pledge, a bargain, a vow of friendship. now. We, we swore to appear to one another. I mean, whoever died first swore to show himself to the other and we sealed the compact with each other's blood. I remember it all so well. A hot summer afternoon in my room seven years ago where one of the masters caught us and confiscated the knife. I've never thought of it again to this day. And, and you mean that, dear God, means, don't you? Well, there's no good being upset about it. I mean, well, if it's all a hallucination, we know what to do. And if it isn't, well, we know what to think, don't we? No, I... 
I suppose so, but it frightens me terribly. That poor devil. After all, if the worst is true, uh, and that chap has kept his promise, well, he has. And that's all, isn't it? Yes. Yes. There's only one thing that occurs to me, and that is this. Are you quite sure that he really ate like that? I mean that he actually ate anything at all. What? Can you check? What? I put the things away myself after we'd finished. Uh, they're on the third shelf in that cupboard. No one's touched them since. Ah, just as I thought. It was partly hallucination at any rate. The things haven't been touched. Come and see for yourself. There's the loaf, the plate of stale scones, the oat cake, all untouched. But even the glass of whiskey, there it is. The whiskey's still in it. You were feeding no one. Field ate and drank nothing. He was not here at all. But the breathing. I heard it. You heard it. In there, now. Where are you going? Just a moment. There's only one thing to do. Write home and find out about him. And meanwhile, come and finish your reading in my rooms. I've got an extra bed. Henry, hmm? look, look, I've, uh, I've had a reply from my sister. Ah, what does she say? Uh, um, that's just family stuff. Right, here we are. Here. It is curious that in your letter you should have inquired about Ambrose Field. It seems a terrible thing, but only a short while ago, Lord Field's patience at Ambrose's behaviour was exhausted, and he turned him out of the house, they say, without a penny. Well, what do you think? He has killed himself. Good Lord. At least it, it, it looks like suicide. Instead of leaving the house, he went down and hid in the cellar and simply starved himself to death. They found the body on the 14th, and the doctor said he died about 12 hours before. He was dreadfully thin. And he died on the 13th. The very night he came to see you. That was Keeping His Promise by Algernon Blackwood, with Eric Deacon as Marriott and Christopher Neem as Ambrose Field. David Griffin was Green, Peter Tottenham, Lord Field, and Nerissa Knights, Lady Field. Other parts were played by Nigel Graham. Technical presentation was by Prue Menmuir. This was a BBC World Service drama production directed by Derek Hardinot. Thanks for joining us, everyone, at 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Reviews are always appreciated. So if you have a moment and you like this podcast, please do send a kind review. And we'll be back next Sunday at noon.